Good morning. <clears throat> I would just like to know how many of you Wednesday night, how many of you were here this past Wednesday for our prayer night? Man, we had a great crowd. It was just awesome. How many of you, God touched you in, in some capacity, some way, strengthened your faith, healed your body, something good happened? Can I just see your hand? Can, can I encourage you? You never know what God's going to do. And that's why it's important to be faithful to the house of God. He will show up when you least expect it sometimes, but he will certainly show up when you expect it because that's his promise. When two or three gather in his name, and there's the understanding there, they gather with expectation that he'll be right there in the middle of it. Thank God for what he did and for what he is doing. Well, this is our fifth week at looking at the last week of Jesus uh, a period of seven days from his triumphal entry to his resurrection. And um, we've looked at five, four things. All right, this is the fifth one today and one more next week. So back the first Sunday of May, we looked at the, the triumphal entry and how God is always in control. God is always directing. It was not coincidental that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the same day that the lambs were brought in to be selected as the Passover lamb for each family. He came in by the plan of God. Then we looked at the cleansing of the temple, where we realized that the teaching there is simply this, do not lose sight of what's important and allow that which is secondary to replace it. Even worse, in the time of Jesus, they had replaced the purpose of gathering at the temple as an opportunity for personal gain in taking advantage of other people. How tragic. Make sure that we keep the focus on encountering God. Then we looked at the, the foot washing service that Jesus had with his disciples, where the greatest served them all. What an example for us. Last week we looked at the Lord's Supper and we recognized this reality. Jesus paid it all. Jesus is our final sacrifice. And today we're going to go to the garden and to the cross. Let me quickly remind you that uh, this Friday is Good Friday, as Pastor Russell mentioned earlier. And there are the communion elements, I think, out and about. If you haven't picked them up, they're out there somewhere. Get enough for your family for this weekend, uh, for Friday. Join us online. Now, here, here's the thing about that. Here's why we've done this this way. You can invite some neighbors to your house. You can invite some family members to your house on Friday night, and you can all partake together. It'll be on our website. It'll be on YouTube. You can look it up. It may be on Facebook. I'm not sure about that platform, but it'll be out there for you. It's about a 10-minute or so. There's some songs that are sung, some words of instruction given and understanding. It'll be a great time. You may not be able to get them to church, but you can take church to them. And if they're not Christians, don't, please don't ask them to participate in what is reserved for people who put their faith in Christ, but explain to them, and who knows, they might get saved right there in the moment. And if they do, say, welcome, family member, join us as we partake together. It is reserved for believers. The Bible says don't take it if you're not right with God. It's very clear to us. But. We're not good enough in our own merit, but we're good and we're righteous through Jesus Christ. The incidents of the last week all take place in a very quick manner. 
they happen very fast. And this morning, I want to look about peculiarities in the garden. When you think of a garden, I don't know where your thought goes, what your mind is, but when I think of a garden, I think of something that's beautiful. I think, as a matter of fact, we were in this area right here just this last year where this all happened. It was a gorgeous little area, a place of rest, a place to think, a place to to recompose yourself, but yet this night it would be anything but that. Matthew 26 gives us the word from Matthew, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18. It's in your notes there. And it says this, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. By the way, timeline, and I'll kind of work you through this a little bit later on as we go through, but timeline, this is happening a little bit uh, right, right around the midnight hour of the day that he would be crucified. So this all happens very, very quick, which is important to understand. Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. He told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began uh, to, to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, I don't know if that verse has ever hit you before or not. I'll come back to it in a moment. But I want you to understand Jesus understands our emotions. He says to his three best friends, I am grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will but as you will. Then he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so could you, couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you have found that to be true? Say amen. amen. Therefore, don't just stop with that statement. Because of that, what does Jesus say? Pray. Be alert. If we allow ourselves to move in our natural direction, we will be weak. But if we stay awake and pray, we can be strong. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Let me pause right here. How many of you know that Jesus taught us not to use vain repetition? Now, the key word in that phrase, you need to understand this, is vain. It's not repetition. It's vain. There's nothing wrong with saying the same words in your prayer. Nothing wrong with that at all. It only becomes wrong when it loses meaning. You can pray the same prayer over food. You can pray the same prayer over nighttime before you go to sleep, you can pray the same prayer when you get up in the morning. Some things need to be prayed regularly. But never let it lose its meaning. If a prayer over a mealtime is just something we throw out there and without any thought, without any awareness, that's not good. But it doesn't matter if you use the same words. But make sure it comes from your heart. Jesus prayed the same thing three times. But how many of you know clearly it was heartfelt every time he said it? Then he came to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. 
A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. How many of you know that right there might have been an indicator something wasn't good? Large mob with swords, clubs are with him. His betrayer had given them a sign, the one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up to coat of Jesus and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand, drew his sword. He stuck the, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs as if, as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me, but all this has happened so the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. I just want to remind you that this event, these events all happen in the garden after midnight. What would happen in the next few hours is unimaginable. So, so here's the quick story of it. They arrest him. They take him to Caiaphas, the, the high priest, and he is judged by the Sanhedrin at 2 o'clock in the morning. How many of you think it would be a little unfair if you were brought to trial immediately after being arrested at 2 o'clock in the morning? How many of you think there's a good probability that trial might not be done according to proper standards? If you wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're guilty. It doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter. I, you're guilty. You woke me up at 2 in the morning for this. I can give you the, the, the verdict right now. And basically, that's what happened. They questioned Jesus. And finally, uh, Caiaphas says, I adjure you in the name of God to, to, to tell us, are you the son of God? And he said, it is as you have said. I am. I am goes back to the word of God to Moses to give his name to who are you. And he said, I am that I am. Jesus said, I am. As a matter of fact, he said that in one of the other versions, uh, one of the other gospel writers' version of the story. He, when he said that, all of the men in the garden fell back, overwhelmed by just that declaration. This was not a weak man. This was not a man who, who was there as just a victim of circumstance. He was there by the will of God. He endured with the help of the Spirit of God. And he has forever changed our destiny. From there, the, 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 the Jewish law said that once you had a trial, there had to be a second trial to confirm the verdict of the first trial. I guess they realized there was a little bit of shenanigans going on, potentially. So they came back with a second trial an hour or two later. And surprise, surprise, again, he was found guilty. Now, they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy at this point. Again, this is like now we're at 3 in the morning. So they send him to Pilate who's the governor of the area. They send him there, and um, this is like four in the morning now. How many of you know that Pilate probably wasn't in the best of moods? Four in the morning. And Pilate begins to look and question, but they change 
what they're accusing him of from blasphemy because Romans wouldn't even care anything about blasphemy. So now they call it treason. Let me, let me give you a picture of the devil real quick, quick. Three words. The devil is an accuser. He will constantly accuse you of, of not being worthy. He will constantly accuse you of failure in your life. The devil will constantly accuse you. And by the way, Jesus asked, Jesus made a statement in John chapter 8 to the, the religious people. And he said to them, you are of your father, the devil. Can I tell you that your actions bring an indication of who your father is? When you act like the devil, it's unlikely that you're a son of God. That may be a deception. I'm not, I'm not saying that you intentionally do that, but I'm telling you to be aware of who you're acting like. How many of you had this experience ever play out in your family, in your life, when your child is not doing what they ought to be doing. From my perspective, I would say you're acting like your mother. <laughs> but when they do good, I'm saying that's my boy. So I'm, I'm telling you that who you act like is a very important thing. So the first of all, the devil's an accuser. Revelation tells us this. He's the accuser of the saints. He's not only an accuser, he's an attacker. He will look for moments to attack you. To, and, and normally that attack comes with fear. Normally that attack comes with, with through your mind. I think one of the most important things that happened for me Wednesday night was just that reawareness of the fact that we need to claim our mind for God and how significant it is today because what's the number one problem in America today? It's mental health. Everywhere from two-year-olds to 102-year-olds, we struggle. It's the attack of the enemy bringing fear into our heart. Every day, we should make this prayer. God, protect my mind. Help my thoughts to be pure. Help me to resist the fear of the enemy. He will attack you. When he attacks you, if you understand this, don't see that as a, as a problem that, that is that is unconquerable, but rather let the attack of the enemy be the sign that God will fight for you. So when he raises up against you, God puts a hedge of protection around you if you'll stay there. What happens though often is we run in our fear and we become vulnerable. The devil's an accuser. He's an attacker. As a matter of fact, above and beyond all that, he's your adversary. He wants to destroy you. He does not want you to win. He does not want you to succeed. As a matter of fact, the word Satan means the one who fights against the adversary of. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. Let the true word of God sink into your heart. Let it get into your mind. Let it get into your spirit. We were not designed to be defeated. We were designed to be victorious. You may go through battles. That's okay. You're going through them. You're not stopping in the middle of them. Jesus goes through all of these things between, between a little after midnight up to about 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. 
when uh, Pilate looks at him, he says, ah, he's not in my region. Send him over to Herod that he might judge. And Herod sends him back. And finally, we all know the story where Pilate is there with the basin of water. And he says, what do you want me to do? Would you rather I release Barabbas, this insurrectionist, this murderer, this thief, or would you rather me release Jesus? And, of course, you know they all cried out, give us Barabbas. How, how ridiculous. And Pilate washes his hands and says, I have nothing to do with this. This is on you. Jesus endured all of those things within a few hours. And it's in the notes here later on. By 9 o'clock, he's arrested a little after midnight. By 9 o'clock, he's been through six different trials. He's been convicted. He is now hanging on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning, less than nine hours from the time of the arrest. But notice this, Jesus did it fulfilling the word of God. Look at verse 56 back up there in Matthew 26. But all this has happened so the writing of the prophets would be fulfilled. What happened to Jesus wasn't the victory of the enemy. It wasn't just a, a, a... victim of circumstance, it happened by the will of God so that you and I, as we sing about today, might have all of our sins washed away through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a call to holiness. It is a call to righteousness. It is a call to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And it all happened because he was willing to go through this horrible travesty. He was under full-on assault from the devil, yet he persevered. I I wish I had time, and I I thought about going to John 17, and I'll do it later sometime and talk about the the high priestly prayer of Jesus that happened before he goes to the garden, because he goes to the garden, chapter 18, verse 1 of John. But before he goes to the garden, he prays this prayer about the glory of God, the will of God for his followers, and it's just beautiful. Read it this week, John 17. It'll bless you. There's three things I want to share with you today. The first one is this. Jesus understands the negative emotions of life. Look at what he said there earlier on. He said to them that that he was full of sorrow and trouble and, and grief, that he felt grief even to the point of death. How excruciating is it to read that? He tells them, stay here with me and pray with me. He's, and he talked about the fact that he was sorrowful and troubled. And then he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus understands your emotions. Not only that, but he experienced the stress of an inevitable event, knowing what was going to happen knowing that what was going to happen was in the will of God, knowing that what was going to happen was was in the plan of God. Luke, the doctor, makes a note that only a doctor might recognize. And he said that as he was praying in Luke 22, verse 43, that, that an angel came and strengthened him Many scholars believe that the angel came so that Jesus would not die prematurely. In in verse 44, it says, Jesus prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. 
There is a medical condition where a person, when they're under enormous stress, it happens in extremely rare occasions. But the blood vessels, the capillaries in the forehead area will actually rupture and blood will come out of the pores of the skin. Luke is talking about the stress that Jesus felt. One of the lies of the devil, because that's how he operates, is that when you're going through a tough time, is to tell you that no one's ever experienced what you're experiencing. Everybody's against you. How many of you, don't, have, don't raise your hand right now, but how many of you, the, the devil's ever told you something about if you've been away from church or you've been away from God, the devil will tell you somebody else, oh, everybody's talking about you. Oh, yeah, they're all talking about you. Can I just help you out? None of us are that important. None of us. There's never a point when everybody's talking about me or you. But the devil builds everything up with such a negative perspective against us. Oh, they're all talking about you. Nobody knows how you feel. Nobody knows what you're going through. And Jesus just stands there on the side and he raises his hand and he says, I do. I do. I understand stress. I understand grief. I understand hardship. I understand difficulty. Everything that we experience, he experienced. He experienced the shock of abandonment by all the disciples. He experienced the sting of denial from a best friend. He experienced the pain of betrayal. You know, the thing that makes that hurt so bad, I think Neil Kennedy says it this way, but for a person to betray you in that way, they have to have the proximity, the closeness to be able to give you a kiss. He wasn't betrayed by an enemy. He was betrayed with a kiss. An action of affection was used to betray our Lord. Think about just the... the the immense pain created by that. Jesus understands the negative emotions of life. He comes alongside you. He helps you. He is with you. Hebrews 4.15, I read it from several versions. From the NLT, it says it this way. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. One of the points there, there's several great points from that verse but he understands what we're going through because he went through it. He faced all of the same things that we face, yet he did not sin. He is our example. He is the one who strengthens us and encourages us. The cross tells us, or the garden, I should say, the garden tells us that he understands what we're going through. Secondly, Jesus endured the cross willingly, Think about this for a minute, just the juxtaposition, the the irony, if you will, of this entire situation. Jesus, the Holy One, Jesus, the Righteous One, Jesus, the Just One, more than any of us. You know, if we're talking about ourselves, and we're going to be honest, we have to say, well, I'm pretty righteous. I'm holy, try to be. Jesus was perfect and pure in all of these categories, and yet he experienced the greatest injustice in the history of mankind. As he goes to the cross, he tells, and Matthew records, it says, 
don't you know that I could have asked my father and he would send 12 legions of angels? I, um, when I was younger, I used to love to watch wrestling on TV. I loved it when I was a kid. I practiced it in my backyard, and one time I slung a kid, another kid, into the tree. I thought it was the turnbuckle, but he didn't come out of it very well. But anyway, I didn't come out of it very well either, just by the way. So uh, anyone in my generation understands that. You know, there, there are consequences for your actions, and I was made aware of them. But in this whole process of, of the fight and all the things that are going on, this is a little bit of my understanding. But I think if one angel came in to fight all of us in this room, one angel against all of us, my money's on the angel. And Jesus said, don't you know that if I would have asked, my father would send 12 legions of angels? And I think that size crew, they could have wiped out the world. And he said, but we didn't take that path because I needed to fulfill the prophecy that spoke of my life. Jesus endured the injustice, even though he was righteous. As I mentioned earlier, he was arrested after midnight, and by 9 a.m., he's on the cross. How wrong is this? How awful is this? Jesus is compassionate. Often as you read in the Bible about him, it talks about Jesus being moved with compassion. This is me probably taking a little bit of liberty here, but I think there's an important thing to understand. Compassion always moves you to do something. Compassion always is the prompter of your action. And Jesus constantly in the New Testament is moving toward people with needs. He's going to places where there's difficulty. He's not dodging, you know, you know, you know in our world today, some politicians make it a practice to dodge anything that could ever put them in controversy. Jesus went right after it. He was always moving where the problem was. He was always looking to solve the need. He was a man of compassion, yet he was treated with cruelty. There's so much I could say there, and you know most of it. You've seen it. But all of the beating that he endured, the crown of thorns, the mockery, all of the things that happened dying on the cross... He is loyal. One of the old hymns that we used to sing, sing said this, there's not a friend like Jesus. There's no one so loyal. There's no one so kind. No one so good. Yet in his loyalty to us, his loyalty was what took him to the cross. And yet he was abandoned in that moment of him being loyal. He was forsaken. He's the source of life, yet he would taste death. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How many of you know Jesus started your faith, and he will finish your faith? The only thing that you have to do is keep your hands off of it. Too often, we're trying to control it, and we prevent him from doing what he wants to do. 
There's a blessing that comes when we let go of our own life. And we say, Lord, my life is in your hands. You are the one who starts. You are the one who finishes. I will walk in obedience. I will do what you tell me to do, but I will not try to control my own life. I've just seen it many times over that when we try to control our own life without allowing him to be the source, the initiator, the perfecter of our life and of our faith that we get in trouble. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. One version there said disregarding makes it even more clear. It says mocking its shame. He looked at the cross and basically said, you are nothing compared to what I'm going to accomplish by enduring. He endured the cross because of his love for us. He endured it willingly. The suffering, the humiliation, the injustice, being forsaken even by the Father Jesus was on the cross about six hours from 9 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The last three hours from, from noon till 3 o'clock. And, and you have to understand this, that they did not use the same clock we have. And so there's a little bit of work you do to get there. But the, three, the last three hours, we do know this for a fact, that the sun was, was hidden and darkened. And that was also at the end of that moment when the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And making it clear that no man did it because no man could have, could have reached up to the top. We would start at the bottom and try to tear our way up. God spoke and tore it from top down. Opening up for us access because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. He was the source of all life, but yet he tasted death. The garden says he understands what we go through, and the cross says he acts on our behalf to save us. The last thing I want to tell you this morning is this. Not only does he understand what we go through, not only does he understand the negative emotions of life, not only did he willingly endure the cross, but thirdly, he's praying right now for your success. Acts 2.33 says, Now he is exalted the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is praying for you right now. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that tells you you're alone, you're isolated, nobody cares. Let me tell you this, without question, there are a lot of people who care for you today. Most importantly, Jesus cares for you. He is praying for you. I think about the story that's just right before this happens. And Jesus is talking to Peter. And Peter's like, oh, if everybody else fails you, I won't fail you. I am Peter. <laughs> and Jesus is like, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. No, Lord, I rebuke you. I will not. And Jesus says to him, Peter, 
That's one of the most tender moments in the whole, the whole, all of Scripture. Peter, I've prayed for you. And after you have failed, after you have fallen, I pray that you'd be restored. Please get this truth deep in your heart. You don't have a bigger fan in the world than Jesus. There's no one that's, that's more cheering you on. Hebrews 12.1, I, I read two a while ago, but Hebrews 12.1 12, says, we're surrounded by a great, a great cloud of witnesses. And, and it tells us there that they're cheering us on. They're encouraging our faith. They're, they're, they're believing for us. And I just happen to believe personally that the one that's in charge of the whole thing is Jesus. And he speaks to your heart and he says, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Victory is in your next step. Victory's right there. Don't quit before the finish line. Don't stop. And he tells us he's with us. He will strengthen us. He understands what we're going through. Jesus prays for us sympathetically. He understands what we are experiencing. Verse I read earlier tells us that he's the high priest and he understands our weaknesses. For he faced everything he can identify and he is praying for your success. He's praying for us based on his experiences. He has the knowledge of what you're going through. It's not theory. You know, I, I tell people this all the time. I'll tell all of you this today. When you have a friend that has lost someone they love dearly, whether it be a spouse or a parent or a child or an aunt or uncle or grandparent, be a little thoughtful with your words. Can I just encourage you to do that? Don't make it about you. It's going to help you personally a little bit right now. And don't tell them, I know how you feel, especially if you haven't had that kind of a loss. But can I tell you that in this case, even in that kind of loss, you really still don't know how they feel. Here's what you say. I'm going to give it to you real simple. You put it in your own words, but when you talk to someone who's lost a loved one, here's what you say to them. I'm so sorry for your loss, and I am praying for God to strengthen you. Now, I know there's some of you like that are much more spiritual than me. They're going to say right now, oh, they're not lost. Well, they're lost to me. That's, that's how I feel. When my dad died, he was lost, and I couldn't talk to him anymore. I lost that, that opportunity. That's what we're talking about. There is a sense of grief. By the way, do you, did you notice that Jesus never condemned anybody for their grief? He never said, oh, stop your crying, get over it. Never did that. What did he say? I'm the resurrection and the life. He offered hope in the midst of our difficulty, not chastisement. Sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. That, that, that's what you say. 
Jesus can say it because he experienced it. Whatever you're going through, I just read it. If I need to read it again, I can. We don't have a high priest who is unaffected, but we do have a high priest who understands everything that we're going through, tested in every way that we're tested, yet he did not sin. He's our encourager. He's our example. And can I just tell you, Jesus is not up in heaven praying some little half-baked prayer. How many of you are glad, this is kind of a weird statement here, but, but I think you'll track with me. How many of you are glad that when we're praying as a congregation, that a meter doesn't come in above your head that indicates how seriously you're praying? And we could all see it. We might pray a little harder <laughs> if that were the case. Can I tell you what Jesus prays for you? It is the perfect prayer He's praying with knowledge. He's praying with intensity. He is praying in spite of what you've gone through. He is praying for your recovery. He is praying for your success. Don't stop now. Keep going. Jesus made it, and so will you. I close with this verse of Scripture, John 18, verses 8 and 9. They're asking Jesus who he is. This is one of the parts where they all fall down just prior to this. And Jesus said, I told you that I am he. Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. And some people say, well, what about Judas? He didn't lose Judas. Judas walked out on his own. He said, I've kept the ones that you've given me, and I pray that they would be strong. And he's praying for me and you today. I want you to stand with me all across the room, if you would, please. Bow your heads for just a moment. Close your eyes. And imagine in this moment, if you're standing in the presence of God himself, just you and him in this moment, what kind of conversation would you have with him? Maybe there's a difficult thing you're walking through and you would just cry out, God, help me. Maybe there's been a mistake in the last few days or a few weeks or a few years of your life and you'd say, God, help me. God, forgive me. You know that whatever prayer you have, he is the all-sufficient God. I'm going to make this kind of generic right now. I think there are times to go both ways on this. And today I'm going to make it kind of a widespread thing. How many of you right now, if you could just have an audience of one with God, there's something you would say to him about needing his help, needing his strength, something you're facing in life that you need divine assistance with would you raise your hand right now all across the room lord i need your help i need your strength i need your touch i need your direction i need your blessing i'm going to ask you to do this if you raised your hand and you need something from god whatever it is i want to invite you to come and just join me in the front right here real quick just come and stand gather in the front if you say lord there's something i need from you 
There's help with the situation. There's mistakes that I've made that I need you to cover up and cover over with your shed blood. Lord, I need you. I need help. If you can't make it to the front, just there where you're, where you're seated. Would you just lift your hand and say, Lord, I need help. If you're here today and there's sin in your life, the Bible says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. Faithful means he will always do it. And he's just. It means he'll treat us all the same, not based on our goodness, but his. He's faithful and just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you need something from the Lord today, as I pray right now, would you just, in your own words, tell God what you need and thank Jesus that he hears, that he cares, and that he's praying for you right now. Father, I thank you that you are a good God. Jesus, I thank you that you're the Savior. I thank you that you're the healer. I thank you that you are our soon coming king and our hearts cry out even so Lord Jesus come quickly Lord I thank you that our hope is secure I thank you that our faith is strong not because of our goodness but because of yours Lord I pray that you would touch everyone in this building today that needs you to come into this situation to act on their behalf Thank you, God, for divine intervention that you show up in our time of need. And Jesus, just as you were faithful, just as you endured the cross, you will give us strength. You will give us wisdom. You will give us grace. You will give us healing. You will give us all the provision of heaven. Lord, I thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul who told the Philippian church, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Not based on our goodness, not based on our things that we have, our possessions, but based on who you are, God. In faith, we look to you today. And right now, Lord, I believe... For your will to be done. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you, Lord.